When I was a little boy, I can remember watching my grandfather working alongside my dad and my uncle on top of mountain mining coal by stripping the earth from the top of the coal seams with a very large D9 bulldozer. To me as a kid, that massive piece of earth-moving machinery was like looking at a giant monster in action. It looked so large to me, it sort of reminded me of a dinosaur, a triceratops or a stegosaurus to be exact. And my grandfather, who we all simply called Pat, was able to move and operate that bulldozer with total mastery along those steep mountainsides and edges. He knew exactly how and where to push all the dirt and how to strategically open up the sides of the mountain so that the rich seam of ancient bluish-black bituminous coal could easily be extracted and collected. As a child, I couldn't wait for the summer to arrive when I'd get to go with my dad to work up on the mountain and climb on that bulldozer with my pap, where I'd sit on his lap as he drove the massive machine up and down the mountainsides. And every time my dad would help me climb that ladder up into the cab of that big D9 dozer with my grandfather, the first thing I'd say to him was, Pap, teach me how to drive this thing. And I remember him always looking at me and saying, I'll tell you what, grandson, I'll work the pedals and you pull the levers and steer us. And forward we'd go together in that big machine. Now, I can also still remember how nervous I was in those moments, knowing there was no way I'd ever be able to do it all that well, to just be there with my pap who'd be right there behind me, and he'd take that stress off of me by telling me to just take a deep breath, keep my eyes in front of me, and stay simple in all that I did. He'd always bring that dozer to a slow crawl and keep us on level ground while I was steering us. But no matter how easy he seemed to make it, it always felt like one of the greatest moments in my life at that time. He'd let me steer for a little while and then I'd let him take over. But I'd keep watching everything that he did, trying to remember how I might have to do it on my own if he were to suddenly need to get off the dozer and leave me to take over, which luckily he never did. To this day, those times with my grandfather on the mountaintop are some of the fondest memories I still have in the great distant childhood years I can recall. And though I never ever followed in his footsteps and took a job driving a D9 bulldozer myself, I never forgot my grandfather's direction to always take a deep breath before I get started, keep my eyes on where I needed to go, and to keep it simple. And to this day, his wisdom has proved true for just about everything I've ever figured out or gotten good at in my own life. And I bet many of you probably have the same kinds of memories yourself. Maybe it didn't happen when you were young. Maybe it was later when you were in high school or college or starting a new job. Perhaps it wasn't a grandfather or even a relative, but a teacher or an instructor or just a good friend. That moment when you ask someone to show you how to do something you really wanted to do, and they gave you good, solid instruction that you've been able to hold on to and apply for the rest of your life. <clears throat> well, this morning, 
In the Gospel of Luke, we are being offered the unique opportunity to be given instruction by Jesus on one of the most important actions we are to undertake in our spiritual life as Christians. This morning, as the disciples of Jesus observe the Lord engaged in the act of prayer, they make the right decision to ask the Lord to take a moment to teach them and us how to pray as he prays. I have to tell you, I'm always overwhelmed when I sit back and imagine what it must have really been like to have Jesus himself right there teaching and preaching every day in front of you. And beyond all that which we can still read ourselves today in the New Testament, to have the opportunity to ask Jesus questions when he was finished speaking and teaching. I know if we had Jesus here today, I'd certainly have a whole lot of questions I desperately want to ask him, and I bet you have many too. I'm quite sure I'd want to do nothing but what Mary of Bethany was doing in front of us last Sunday. Just sit at the Lord's feet, ask the questions, and listen and take note to his answers. And this morning, we get to see that happening. The disciples are asking Jesus to teach them something specific that they really want to know. And the Lord responds not with some deep, complicated theological treatise, but with instruction that is simple and straight to the point, giving them the words that have become that one prayer that all Christians have prayed in the church almost every time we've gathered together for over 2,000 years. Jesus gives his disciples and you and me what we know as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Only this morning's gospel, Jesus is giving it to us in a much simpler form. The prayer we all know by heart and that I tried to go through with the kids a few minutes ago is the version of the prayer from the Gospel of Matthew. But in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus makes his prayer shorter and more concise. Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And that's it. When I read this very brief and concise prayer given in answer to the simple request, Lord, teach us to pray, I can't help but be reminded again of my grandfather giving me very simple instructions on how to drive something that in my mind was so big and so massive and so complicated, I couldn't even imagine it. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, I know you think it's going to be difficult. I know you think it's complicated, maybe a little supernatural. But all you really need to do to engage in prayer is take a deep breath, keep it simple, and use these words. Yet as simplified as this morning's version of the Lord's Prayer may seem, brothers and sisters, the heart and the soul are still there within it in its richness and its meaning. Within Jesus' prayer this morning, we still begin with that very radical opening acclamation to God that was never before prayed quite the same way in the Jewish faith before Jesus spoke it. In Jesus' prayer, we start by calling out to God as our Father. This is the same divine creator of heaven and earth, the God 
who the Old Testament tells us called the Red Sea to part for the Israelites and then cast down that sea upon Pharaoh and his army and destroyed them. And yet in Jesus' prayer, we are calling God something far more personal, something much closer to the address we give our own father as dad. Now, I know that in the 21st century, some of us may have some concern in referring to God chiefly as father. But I can assure you, Jesus, all those years ago, was simply working to move the understanding of God as some kind of distant king and overlord down to our personal level, to God as a loving father and as a friend. For that was and is Jesus' own understanding of his relational divinity. God with son overflowing with love that comes to us as the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to reveal to all of us in his prayer that it is that kind of love and relationship God wants desperately to have with each and every one of us as well. So Jesus instructs his disciples to keep it simple from the start and address God as our father, whose loving relational name is worth our greatest honor, appreciation, and hallowing. After this... In Luke's version of the prayer, Jesus directs us to pray simply that God's great kingdom will come in its fullness and completeness, that we have the daily bread we need for both our bodies and our souls, that the sins we commit be forgiven in the same way we must learn to forgive those who are indebted to us, and finally, that we not be brought unprepared into a time of trial and hardship. And that's it. Six lines. In a simple, easy-to-remember prayer. This is the prayer Jesus gives his disciples in the Gospel of Luke when they ask him to teach them to pray. But Jesus doesn't end the lesson right there. He has a little more instruction to give us this morning to go along with the words he's directed us to pray. Jesus next uses the example of the kind of friend we might find ourselves running to in the middle of the night in an emergency to get bread that we should have gotten a lot earlier but failed to do so. And not just for ourselves, but bread that needs to be given to an unexpected visitor who arrives needing to be fed. Jesus gives us this parable to show us and his disciples just how loving, merciful, and giving God will be to those who need it and are willing to ask for it. And Jesus wants us to think for just a moment in our own lives about who that friend might be. Who is the person who'd open the door and help us at the darkest hour? Or even when the friend in Jesus' parable says, man, you waited way too late. I'm already in bed and so is my family. Because we keep knocking on the door, this friend is the one friend who will get up and give us what we need. And before we spend too much time thinking right now about which friend you might have who'd actually answer a door at midnight, Jesus wants to give us this story because he wants us to understand that it isn't some other friend he's talking about. It is he himself who is that friend. Jesus is the one who can and will save us at our darkest hour. Even when we failed and waited to the very last minute, Jesus will open the door if we will be persistent in our knocking. Remember again 
the parable of the prodigal son who squandered everything and still had a father who raced out and opened his arms to receive him back with love and mercy. The father in that parable is Jesus. Or the good Samaritan who was looked down upon by the people of his own time and yet is the only one who picks up the man beaten by robbers and left for dead along the road when everyone else that man thought would save him passes him by. Again, the good Samaritan is Jesus. He is that kind of Savior. And so it is again this morning when we come to this story of the darkest hour in the middle of the night at the very last minute when we are in desperate need, if we will ask with persistence, God even in that last moment is such a loving father, he will open the door and he will feed our souls. Jesus says we just have to ask, we just have to search God out, we just have to knock on the door. And Jesus will finish this morning by reminding us that if we who fail so easily, who sin so easily, can still put ourselves aside and love our children and give them what they need, how much more will God, who loves us as his children, give to us? It may not be exactly what we thought we wanted or what we needed. It may not even be noticeable in that time when we feel we needed it the most. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is promising us that if we just have that little talk with Jesus, he will make it right. In prayer and contemplation, God will provide us with exactly what we need. For me, Jesus' teaching on prayer comes together just like that little boy who learned or thought he learned to drive a bulldozer and move a mountain. Brothers and sisters, if we can trust God as a loving father, if we can take a deep breath and give God that loving, meaningful relationship that God so desperately wants from us, if we can just open our hearts to God the way we open our hearts to those we know love us no matter what, to do that is to be assured that we will have food to feed our souls, that our sins will be forgiven as we forgive others, and that we will be delivered from evil. And God can and will move whatever mountain blocks our way from his mercy and forgiveness, even when that mountain appears in our darkest hour. This is the God who loves us, who hears us, who listens to us, and who provides an answer to the prayers we offer to him. Thanks be to God. Amen.